This is Model Behavior. I am Michael G. Gable, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. I'm a full-time model, and I like to interview models and photographers and casting directors and anyone tangentially related to the industry, but also just people I find creatively inspiring and who I think are leading a model life and at least working towards living a life that is fulfilling in whatever way fulfills them. So here we are. Um, this week has been great. I feel like the summer slowdown is coming to an end. I am recording this in Bend, Oregon. I'm here all week for a shoot with Moose Jaw, which is an outdoors retailer similar to REI. And I got Moose Jaw catalogs when I was in high school and just drooled over all the gear and shots of people in the outdoors. And now I'm on set living that life. Um, me and the other talent are traipsing around the absolutely gorgeous woods of Bend, Oregon, wearing the finest in outdoor apparel. It's all Arc'teryx and mountain hardware and North Face gear. We have, you know, jackets and backpacks and climbing shoes and climbing gear. And it's it's a real um, embarrassment of riches because we get to wear them for a week and then they take them away. We might get some free gear out of this shoot. It remains to be seen. But it definitely um, makes your brain itch and you want to go home and buy more gear and get out into the woods, which is never a bad thing because it definitely fills my soul and makes me a very happy boy. So I'm not complaining about that, but I'm a little sad because my good buddy and the first guest on this podcast, Zach Staben, is on the second week of this shoot. So he'll fly into Bend as I'm flying back to LA and we'll just miss each other in the air. So I won't get to hang out with my modeling bash brother But it's okay because I did get to hang out with Lindsay Chen, who is a model from my agency, SLU, I've never met before. She's based in San Francisco. And apart from being a really great model, she is also a phenomenal climber. I stalked her Instagram when I saw her name on the call sheet because I just wanted to see what I was getting into and realized that she, you know, she's pushing 513D sport climbing, which if you know anything about climbing is no laughing matter. That is serious climbing. That's not just your average weekend warrior. And we get into you know her her journey in climbing and where she's going with it. But it, it's intimidating because I, you know I've been climbing since I was ten and did a lot of top roping and then got into lead climbing and did some big multi pitches and that transitioned more towards mountaineering as I got older. But you know I still know my way around the crag and I can hold my own on the rock. But not like Lindsay. So tomorrow we're actually going out to uh, a crag and we're going <laughs> to, she's going to make me look like a fucking idiot, but it's okay because Lindsay's an amazing person. And I was so happy to have her sit down on the microphone and, and talk with me about her journey from, you know, being a creative rebellious kid to a model who also has a, a, a good life balance in terms of the things she's passionate about and the way she makes her money and what she's doing with that. And we got into, you know, where she came from and where she's going. And I think she has a really good head on her shoulders in terms of finding that work-life balance. And I'm a little jealous of her as well because she has an amazing van and she is about to go off and live that van life for reals. And I'm so happy for her. 
but I don't want to give away too much more of it because you're going to hear all about it. So without further ado, enjoy Lindsay Chen. Are you a fancy sock person? Kind of. Yeah. I just like, I sometimes like create my entire outfit off my socks. I feel like if your socks match your t-shirt, you're in good shape. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I like to wear like all black with orange socks. Yeah. A little pop color. Yeah, yeah. So I like stance socks. Yeah. Me too. I went through a big stance phase, but now I like in LA, I just don't wear socks ever. Really? If you I feel don't like get all my, nasty if I roll and my, I do like the cool LA roll. What's the cool LA roll? I'm like not you like up cuff on that. your pants a little bit. Oh, have no socks the pant on. roll. But I feel like it keeps you cool to have your ankles exposed. Yeah, but you don't get like clammy, wet feet in like, like I always want to wear my Vans without socks. But yeah. then I'm like, oh, it gets so swampy in there. Yeah, because I, I grew like up in like the Midwest and the East Coast wearing boat shoes all the time, which get oh, disgusting. Yeah. yeah. You have to throw them away every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. It's so gross. But thank you for being here. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, I'm here. We're in Bend, Oregon, Mm -hmm. in our lovely rental house provided by Moose Jaw, who we're shooting for, which has been, I don't know, we were just running around in the rain today wearing sick Arcteryx and North Face gear. and Totally, just like cheesing it up. Yeah. Smiling. We walked into the production house and they just had, I don't know, 30 boxes of shoes and all these like stuff sacks and trekking poles and backpacks and watches. And it's like... I'm really worried that I'm going to go home and just buy a bunch of gear now. <laughs> yeah, it's always so tempting. You have to pretend like you're just, you already own it because you're wearing it like all yeah. day, every day. And then you're just like, it's over. You don't need it now. It's like renting a, like a fun car. It's like, you don't want to own it. You just want to drive yeah. it for a week. Yeah. And then you exactly. get your fix. Yeah. Yeah. Just get your fix. Um, so there's one question that opens the podcast every time. Okay. And that question is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? <laughs> oh, man. Open-ended, wow. just in any sense Ooh, of that. Oh, I better. Okay. Let's see here. Let me rack my old person memory. You're so old. So old. <laughs> Getting my gray hairs. Um, Seven. Well, I equate seven to being in like first grade, mm-hmm. but it's a whole year. So First, second grade, seven. Yeah. So let's see. I mean, when I was in, I was seven, I was in first grade. My teacher was Mrs. Ellie, I think is what her name was. And I was at a public school. Wait, so do you want me to just think of one specific time? I don't know, I just seven, like, or like what, what were you up to when you were seven? seven? Like, yeah, what were you about? I was like a Girl Scout, I think, okay. at the time. Um, a lot of the girls in the Girl Scout team or squad or whatever. You, the troop. Squad. The troop. <laughs> See, it's been so long, I don't even know what you call it <laughs> the anymore. Fam. <laughs> the fam. The yeah. fam, um, The club. Yeah, no, I, I. a lot of them went to my public school. Yeah. And what else was I doing when I was seven? I was like way into the monkey bars. Okay. I was like, that makes sense. I was like a noodle. I was so skinny. I I was, I was. had a terrible diet. All I ate was carbohydrates. All ki- I ate Pop-Tarts for like <laughs> yeah. several years straight. I lived straight. off of... Pasta with just butter and salt yeah, on it. Yeah. No tomato sauce. No. Could not be bothered. No. Not, you would never see me eat a green thing. Maybe ketchup. Yes. I would do some ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> Can I substitute the tomato sauce with ketchup, please? <laughs> what else? Yeah. Terrible diet. But I had a lot of energy. Seven. I might have been playing softball on a team. So you're active. Monkey bars make sense because you're a climber now. I was active. Yeah, that's maybe where it rooted from. Yeah. <laughs> My upper body strength. No, 
the climbing thing, maybe I didn't come into knowing what climbing even was until maybe like two or three years later because mm -hmm. I did, I think with Girl Scouts, I, I honestly can't totally remember if it was with Girl Scouts or a school field trip, but we went to a climbing gym yeah, like really close by and it doesn't exist anymore, but that wasn't at seven and I was a little bit, yeah, before. Let's see, I was just thinking of something cool I was doing when I was seven. I was gonna say because I was doing the monkey bars so much, I spent a lot of time on like the play structures at school mm -hmm. because I was in like after school daycare because me my too. parents both worked full time yep. and no one could pick me up at like three p.m. because it's like the middle of the day. Right. <laughs> like, so I spent so many hours like doing puzzles, drawing, and playing on monkey bars. Yeah, I did after school care, and then when I was in high school, I actually worked as like the after school care oh, taker. Wow. Oh wow! So I played with all the kids and like oh, drew gosh. with them, helped them with their full homework. Circle played sports with them and I was like really good at all the sports because I was older than them, so I felt good about myself. But I remember when I was in elementary school, there was like the kid who loved the swings and the kid who loved the, so you were the monkey bar girl. I was the monkey bar girl. Like I wasn't only the monkey bar girl. I also liked just those single bars where I used to do all, I like, I can't do any of that shit anymore. Can I swear? By you the may way? swear. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm a swear. Um, yeah, I used to do like flips off the bars. Yeah. Like this thing called the genie where you like flip backwards with no no hands and then you like dismount. And just stick it. Yeah, and you stick it. With your and rubber like, bones I don't even as know a child. how I had the guts. I was like such a daredevil at seven. Well, you're a daredevil now. <laughs> Not really. I'm like the safest climber you've ever met. I mean, sport climbing is predominantly what I like to do the most. Yeah. And that's the safest form of rock climbing you can possibly do. But to the general public, I don't think a rock climber is generally thought of as safe. I guess not. But that would just be like sort of like ignorance to climbing. It's not way. like yoga or any other standard active yeah. pursuit. Not that many people probably die from yoga or anything. But So the whole reason we start that podcast, the podcast with that question is there's this quote that says, give me the child at seven and I'll show you the adult. So basically the first seven years of your life somehow plant the seeds of the plant that you're going to grow up into. Interesting. So I try to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the monkey bars is a perfect example because your your life kind of revolves around climbing now. Mm -hmm. You know, you're we're on this shoot because we both have climbing skills and we're not doing a ton of climbing. I think on Thursday we're going to do some real stuff at Smith Rock and you're going to make me look like an idiot. No, but... <laughs> nonsense, nonsense. So yeah, it makes sense that someone who is attracted to the monkey bars would eventually be attracted to the climbing gym and then, mm -hmm. you know, Yosemite because you grew totally. up in the Bay Area so you're close. I, w I am, was, am close to Yosemite. Um, but I have to say I still feel like a total beginner when I go to Yosemite. Oh, yeah. I have mostly only ever bouldered, which is not what you really go to Yosemite for. So I'm a little ashamed to say that. But it is world-class bouldering. Because when I really did take to climbing and like really started to call myself a climber, I was just bouldering. And that was one of the closest spots to go. But yeah, I mean, you go to Yosemite for the big wall stuff, mm -hmm. that crazy granite and... I've only I've only like scratched the surface on multi-pitch like trad routes. And yeah, I haven't done much lead at all, and so. What was it so. for you about climbing that when you got that first taste in the gym? Because I went to a camp in North Carolina when I was probably eleven for the first time, and it was a really outdoorsy camp where you're supposed to go out on trips. Six week it was a six week camp, mm -hmm. but the point was to be out on trips for most of it. So like three day, five day, ten day trips, mm -hmm. and you could do paddling, you could do mountain biking, you could do sailing, and I went straight to climbing. And I don't know what it was, but like just being off the ground. And then we got to do some multi-pitches, which were obviously led by the instructors. But 
that yeah, like fear, was it? that tingly feeling. I'm trying to think back. Like I remember my first kind of vaguely remember my experience at that gym. It was called City Rock and it was in Emeryville, which is between like Berkeley and Oakland. And um, I remember they had these cowbells, you know, like it was super low angle, like slabby jug climbs. Yeah. And like it was old school, it was like 80s style gym with the ground was all made of like shredded up old tires yeah, for like rubber. the landings and stuff. And I remember they had these cowbells at the top. So like when you got to the top, you rang the, the mm-hmm. cowbell. And I don't know, it was just like that stuck in my brain is like something so cool. I don't know why, like just getting to the top and be able, being able to ring this bell. And I think because I was like into monkey bar stuff and just like swinging around and, you know, a lot of kids are into like, I don't know, flinging yourself around is like some kids do skateboarding. Yeah. Some get, kids like are into doing flips off of diving boards and into the It's pool like the first high. Like when yeah. you spin around a circle and it's get like, dizzy and you're like, oh, I feel different. Yeah, I feel like I, I don't know, for some reason I felt good at it and I was light as a feather at the time. So I, I felt good at it and I felt like I just wanted to know more. But it took me years and years to like get to the point of like actually feeling like I could be part of a world of climbing. It's such an intimidating sport. Yeah, and the know? community was very niche when we were mm-hmm. growing up. Like we talked about reading, you know, Rock and Ice magazine and like learning about Chris Sharma and getting mm-hmm. those like old school VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was like kind of a special thing. Like I went to the climbing gym on the weekends and my friend, people were like, what's that? Like I've never been climbing. Yeah, Maybe totally they had one of those walls of. that folds up at a fair that people right? would go on. Yeah. But Otherwise, it's not like today where everyone's been to a climbing gym. Like a lot of people have memberships and I they know. have yoga classes at it's climbing gyms. Where you go gyms. on a date these days? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's really changed over the years. And I feel like I was late to it, but there was just this misfit crowd. It was like this club that I sort of like got a tiny, tiny little taste of when I yeah. was seven, maybe like nine ish, and and then like didn't really know what to do with it like I knew I got a high off of it so I think it was around maybe when I was nine or ten I either went with Girl Scouts to that gym or I went on a field trip with school can't remember which one it was maybe both but soon after I was like I went home to my mom and I was like I want to do I want to do something there like so she signed Mm -hmm. me up for a summer camp with my best friend and I remember two summers in a row we did the summer camp and it was only like a week-long summer camp but we actually got to go climbing outside yeah on real rock and we did stuff inside in that gym and I think that really like instilled some kind of I don't know it was just intrigued and drawn to it ever since but still years later it took years for me to like really understand what to do with that intrigue like yeah I don't know I I don't know where I was going with that but yeah so that's kind of so through high school you climb yeah so let's see how it was like I went to that camp oh I know what I was gonna say I went to that camp two summers in a row and I was way into it but like climbing is one of those things where you kind of need a mentor you Mm -hmm. like need a coach and I stay strong to that statement even now even though it's becoming mainstream because there's so many people just like just buying gear at moose jaw yeah and going outside yeah 
putting a rope on who knows if they know how to tie that rope and just like doing it because mm-hmm. it's just like you buy the gear you can do it right but no you gotta you yeah need you, to, like, you can't just read instructional books and learn how to no. like you can't learn rope systems and multi-pitch I mean, approaches you can, but that's really that would be the dangerous side of climbing yeah. i equate it to surfing you know it's like mm-hmm. yeah you can go out there with a board and a suit and a wetsuit on and go out on your own but you might just get swept up into an undertow and drown <laughs> like, and you're never going to get much better because you can't you need guidance you need guidance it's hard to figure out like when i moved to la i started i I learned how to surf a little bit in costa rica i moved to la and went out surfing and the guys i lived with and hung out at the time were these guys from hawaii who were really good surfers who had no interest in going out with me on shitty days at like the venice breakwater so and i couldn't go out to like you know the big waves with them Uh so i just kind of floundered around for a while until I had a buddy who was like, no, let's get better and let's progress yeah. Yeah. in a linear fashion. Exactly. I That's exactly how I think of it with climbing too. It's like you can keep beating the dead horse of like doing the same TR routes in the gym, mm-hmm. but you're not going to push your limits and really like actually learn the skills and technique that it takes to like be getting better at the sport yeah. or activity unless you have like a little bit of guidance or you're hanging out with people that are better than you because mm-hmm. so many people, you know, I remember when I was straight up Gumby climber girl and you see photos in magazines or whatever and you think climbing is like such a great summer activity. Yeah. <laughs> that's not when you go climbing. That's not when you want to go climbing. Yeah. Like you need someone to tell you like, no, that's the worst time to be climbing. You don't want to be climbing in the sun. Climbing's all about dry, cold mm-hmm. temperatures because you don't want your hands Shade. to sweat. Yep against the rock because then you're going to lose traction like all these little details that it takes to learn and sometimes you can learn some of them on your own if you you know are open to seeing those details and but i think that having a guide in this sort of an activity is really really vital (laughs) and i know so you went to art school but did you ever when you were younger have the sort of inclination to go the professional route in climbing or was it more recreational mm, no i don't think i was ever I don't think I've ever thought I was to that level. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's different now because like I was saying earlier, you don't necessarily in today's climbing world and just the world, <laughs> you don't actually have to be good at something to be doing it professionally. Yeah. But back when I first was like really learning more about the climbing world, even before I actually felt like I was calling myself a climber, I didn't think of like, oh, I want to be a professional climber. Yeah. Like some people definitely have that dream, but not for, it wasn't for me. It was just like, I just want to get better at climbing. Yeah. I just want to know what I'm doing. Like feel like I know what I'm doing. It's you funny know? you talk about the images in the magazines. Cause I remember being a teenager at, at camp and I would talk to the counselors and be like, how do I like, how do I get in these magazines? Not as a climber. Like I wanted to take the photos mm-hmm. and I remember bringing these like shitty disposable cameras to camp. This is in, you know, the late nineties mm-hmm. and trying to submit. No, like they were like, yeah, if you like take photos and like send them in, like this is early heyday of climbing. So like you could send in photos and they would just buy them if yeah. they were good enough. Like they weren't going to buy my photos, but yeah. like I would try to like, you know, like smack a chalk bag to make like a cloud of chalk right. and then like plant a hand and like think I was making these artsy photos. The classic shot. Yeah. And just like, just playing around with the aesthetics of climbing. Cause I've always been a very visual person. So I was Me drawn too. to like, you know, there's that book. Um, what's that? What is it like rock bodies where it's like a bunch of new, like it's like black and white photos oh, of nude yeah. people um, climbing. It's that it intersection called? of like hard Body, lines. Um, yeah. The black and white yeah. series. Chris Charma was in it at one point. Yeah. Um, S- uh, stone nudes. nudes? Stone nudes? Yeah. 
Stone nudes. I think that might be it. I think that's it. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. I think that's probably from what, like late 90s or it was mm-hmm. probably from the 90s. It's kind of like the ESPN body issue, which yeah, I think which Alex just Honnold came out. In. Yeah. It's and funny. It's, I was thinking about that. It's that day. like athleticism and then the dy- and like art. Yeah. And art. Together. Like I did a lot of portrait drawing and like nude studio modeling in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in art school. And like you learn how beautiful the human form is. And when you juxtapose totally. that with like the beauty of a harsh, rugged, natural environment, it's like a, it's a very cool composition. Yeah. We have a lot in common in that way. I mean, like I was, before I went to art school, I was just into all of all different mediums of art. Yeah. And I drew a lot as a kid and my parents thought I was going to be some famous artist. I think they're so, so supportive. Yeah. <laughs> and cause you're in like an art show in second grade and they're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Or just like I drew a person that was a little bit beyond a stick figure at age five. Yeah. <laughs> Actually I made three dimensional shoes out of paper and tape in preschool. Whoa. I think I was like three and a half years old. So that was pretty advanced. I still have them. We have a lot in common because my <laughs> favorite Christmas present I ever got was 12 rolls of scotch tape. And then I made <laughs> A tank, like an army tank, that when you lifted the lid, like an army man popped out with a gun. What? And I was like six or something. Oh my god! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. I like think back to those shoes I made. I'm like, so that's where the fashion started. And yeah. Then like, oh, it's true. All these things kind of they do. You connect the dots. But let's see. I was gonna say something about what you were saying with the bodies. Um, yeah, the stone. News. Oh well. Yeah, you know, one of the things that really drew me to climbing, like, so let's see here. Let me back up again. After I did that summer camp climbing at a young age, I then got into um, like team sports. Mm -hmm. I think I played, I got into volleyball and I played that pretty hardcore like club volleyball for four years. And then I got in, I was like in high school volleyball and lacrosse. And so then I just like, I had too much going on and I couldn't be like, ooh, I want to see what's up with climbing. And I just kind of forgot about it. But I was still like, every once in a while going to a climbing gym in high school, but none of my friends like understood or knew or cared. So it was like hard. I didn't have like a wingman. Mm-hmm. So then years later, let's see, I went to college and I was in art school and I had a boyfriend that was like psyched to climb at the gym, but it was super recreational. Like yeah. we were just doing those TRs that you do over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You don't really get anywhere. And I didn't even know what to do with the world of lead climbing. I was like, what? <laughs> that is for the elite. The ropes beneath me? <laughs> yeah, wait, what? <laughs> um, and so then during, okay, wait, sorry. I skipped too far forward. At the end of high school, right around when I was getting into to modeling, when I first signed with my first agency, I was also working at an REI. Mm-hmm. So I was like really in this outdoor mind space, like loving the outdoors. I had kind of a hippie vibe at the time, really into reggae. You know, (laughs) I was like into that. Like making your necklaces. I went to reggae on the river. (laughs) I was way into it. And I, uh, (laughs) I like my parents aren't really that outdoorsy. So I kind of found that on my own at that point. And I remember working at REI. And again, I think I like, I went out and got that job on my own. I was just like, I want to work. I want extra money. So I just, my parents weren't like, you need to start working. I just went and got the job and I would go after school and go to work. And you get that gear, gear discount. Yeah. And I won that gear discount because I just wanted to like have more and I wanted to meet people that were like into the outdoors. Yeah. So I felt like that was like a an outlet because like my high school friends 
although I was a big, big party animal and they were just partying, I wanted something else too. Yeah, it takes a special kind of person to break away from the team sports and the social, the standard social network mm-hmm. to go off and do something like climbing mm-hmm. religiously. I mean, unless you when no one somewhere like in Boulder it, they, yeah. or yeah, where it's not different. that unique. Yeah. Because I, I was the same. I played lacrosse urban... and water polo and like mm-hmm. I would kind of go to the climbing gym at my like rec center, but not really because I was an only child. So I didn't climb with anyone. My, none of my friends were doing it. Yeah. So it was just kind of on the back burner. Yeah. Like I said, it's like if you have a friend that's doing it too or like your friend and his dad his dad was a climber and then you yeah. have then you have like a, a mentor right he there. He takes you and out, yeah. Yeah, you go out together and you learn a lot. But I just felt like always so intimidated by just like stepping into the gym and just not really knowing, knowing what I'm doing. And I see people in the gym today, every day that I go to the gym. You see those people and you can tell they, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They feel intimidated. They're scared to get on the wall. They're scared to fall. They're, they're just, they're out of... I don't know. They out don't, of their element. They're yeah. out of their it's element. They don't know. Yeah, they don't it's know. It's the what same to with do. surfing, like getting out in the lineup and you see the guys who are clearly better than you. Yeah. And I think surfers are more assholes than climbers. Yeah. Climbers tend to be a little dorky and like science minded and they may be not super friendly, but they won't be standoffish as much as surfers yeah, who will they, like yeah. really harsher vibe if you're making mistakes. Like, get the fuck out of yeah. my way. I'm gonna yeah, crash get out into your you. Noob, <laughs> kook. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it is intimidating unless you have someone who can bring you in and kind of teach you the politics of the situation and mm-hmm. help you stop making those beginner mistakes. Yeah, you might you not just, get past that. I always, and it's hard even for me feeling a little bit more advanced in my climbing these days and seeing those people at the gym being like, I should, you know, I want to give them a little like tidbit. Mm-hmm. Like it's better to boulder without all your gear on. <laughs> <laughs> you should take your harness <laughs> off <laughs> and uh <laughs> like there's you know i see little things and i'm like this would really help you like don't climb with a hundred things hanging but off it looks you. cool <laughs> to have your full rack does not look cool <laughs> all your quick jaws <laughs> a real climber does not look cool <laughs> whatever a real climber is um right. but but then you know i feel like awkward and feel like i don't want to be like miss know-it-all to this poor person that's just trying their best yeah so it's like you kind of have to let people do their thing and hope that maybe they'll take a clinic or something but anyways let me back up so i feel like when i was working at rei i remember i would on my breaks i was really into photography in school at the same time um and i think i was getting ready to go to art school and i thought i'm gonna major in photography like my dream was like i want to be a nat geo photographer same and yeah right we (laughs) all had that dream and um but I would just look at magazines all break, like mm-hmm. my whole break. I would just flip through the magazines, sometimes read the articles, but mostly I would just look at the photos. Mm-hmm. Like I was just so encapsulated by all the photos. Like, And like you're saying with that nude body issue, I was just fascinated by the body and the way you could frame the body on rock. There was something so mystical to me about it. I just loved it. I loved those compositions in yeah. this really natural setting and someone doing something so absolutely amazing and just all of it, the colors, everything, even sometimes what they were wearing, just like I love the the evolution of fashion and climbing. I mean, now it's really dorky and techy, but yeah. back in the 80s, it was oh, rad. It was rad, it was yeah. rad like wearing like, the, you know, like Yvonne Chouinard times, like when he was wearing the rugby shirts mm-hmm. and they're all wearing like scrubs as pants and it was all functional they wore rugby shirts because they didn't break down yeah Yeah, and like just badass like really yeah so i was i don't know i i love that part and i i think that between the visual aspect of seeing like 
imagery of climbing and then like learning more and more about the physical limits you could push in climbing. And then I remember once I started to really tune into boulderers and bouldering and like the beta mm-hmm. and the dance on the rock, like what it takes. And then just, and then becoming a climber myself and learning how to climb and, you know, focus on one climb and, and do it from start to finish. Just felt like, oh my God, this, this fucking rock was made for a human to grab these tiny little holes yeah. and do this little dance. Like that's what got me su- super psyched. It's like, like beating a level in a video game. You know, you work on I it over and know. over again. I mean, I didn't play, I wasn't super <laughs> okay. into video games because I was an only child, but yeah. I think like you just keep doing it until you beat that level. And then it's right. like, okay, I climbed like V6. So yeah. what's next? Like what's V7. Next? Like let's try something harder. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And you can just keep doing it forever. You never perfecting it and Mm -mm. i think that's it's like aggravating and so overwhelmingly like exciting at the same time yeah it's unlimited yeah so where does modeling come into all this in what way like so you went to art school studied fine art okay yeah so in in high school i was always like the artsy girl party girl Slash party girl. We have very um, similar trajectories. Do we? This yeah. is so funny. You're like the guy version of me. You know. Um, but yeah, so I was, we. I was really fortunate in our in my public school. It was huge public school, Berkeley High School. Um, I think at the time we were the largest graduating class ever, which I don't even remember what the number was, but it was big. Mm-hmm. And we had a color dark room and a black and white dark Whoa. room in our school, which was just so rad. I don't even know how that happened, but. I was first inspired by like the photography thing from my sister. She's six years older than me. She went to Berkeley High and I just remember her coming home with like printed photos and just being like, what? You made that? Yeah. what? (laughs) And then when I got to high school, I was like, I'm taking photography. (laughs) And and then I would spend lunch break in the Mm -hmm. dark room. Okay. So anyways, I went off on a tangent there. Um, You asked me about modeling. So I believe it was my senior year. I don't remember what time of year it was, but I went on a trip with my mom to Cancun and we were at a club med. Mm-hmm. I had like a, a couple of people had like said you could model. And one of my friends in high school had signed with an, an agency look in San Francisco. And she was like, but she was like way more glamour model material. Yeah. I was more just like, I didn't really know what I was. And anyways, I was at this club med with my mom on vacation and... I was just like partying and drinking and whatever, you know? And then I saw this poster at the club med that there was this contest going on and it was like some sort of modeling contest. And I was like, Oh, maybe that'd be kind of fun to enter. Like, I wonder if I could just enter it for fun. So I did. And you know, you had to do this catwalk thing. It was all these random people there for it. Was it in front of everyone? Like one of those spring break type kind of. Yeah, it was. And and you just did this catwalk. I had no idea what that meant. And I, you just, I just walked down this <laughs> aisle thing and then walked back. And then they posted like lists of names. So basically there were all these like scouts there and agents from all over the world. At and, Club like, Med. At Club Med. Like it, it was like <laughs> so back, then, back then it was like, so this was what, 2003. So it was still like people were actually scouting. Now you don't have to scout. You just go on Instagram. Yeah, they'll you come know? to you. They'll DM you. Yeah, exactly. You just get a DM. But at that point still, people were taking trips to find new talent, yeah. I guess. So um, 
I went up to see the poster after the thing was over and there my name was and it said like, you know, these three people want to have meetings with you. One of them was MTV. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Heard what? Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is sick. Um, and then another one was like some agency from Milan and I was like, what? Oh my God, this is crazy. And then the third one was a San Francisco modeling agency called Stars. Perfect. And... One thing led to another. I, w- I was there with my mom. I was 17, so I had to like meet with my mom because I was <laughs> underage, of course. This is my manager. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then, yeah, of course, the San Francisco people, that was like the no-brainer. Like, okay, she's yeah. from the Bay. Let's try to sign her. So I, when I got back home, went into the office with my mom and <laughs> signed a contract. And then... I got. I remember my first job was with Levi's like very soon after I signed and it was another catwalk thing, not print. Uh, I was super nervous and all the clothes were kind of like swimming on me, but I did it and it was fun, but I was still in school. So yeah. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything. I was super green and didn't know what modeling was or like all the little details of it. And so it took, you know, just one thing after another, I learned and learned and learned. Eventually, I signed, you know, I was I was in in high school, finished high school, went to art school. I actually went to Boston for a little while okay. for art school. And then I ended up running back to California like, ah, I need to be on West the coast, West Coast. West Coast, Coast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, finished art school after many, many years. <laughs> Same. In Oakland, <laughs> took me forever. I'm like not a big school person. Same. Um very hands-on and i just kept like taking all these different mediums that weren't in my major <laughs> like loom weaving and <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so anyways did not do that <laughs> yeah um <laughs> that's where we differ uh and then yeah and then i i remember kind of i booked let's see i was working at rei again mm-hmm. i started working at rei again after i came back from boston and i was going to school in oakland and I remember submitting myself. Everyone at work was always like, that looks like you in the catalog, Lindsay. I used to wear my hair in these two braids. Mm-hmm. And it was still during my hippie stage. And um, I had really long black hair and just two braids always. And everyone was always like, anytime there was a girl in the catalog that had dark hair with braids, it was Lindsay. <laughs> and so one day I was just like, man, screw this. I'm going to see if I can try to get in the catalog. So even though I had an agency... I don't know. I didn't go through them. I just like went up and like found out who to email yeah. through headquarters and emailed some photos in and then they hired me. What? It was crazy. Yeah, they hired me. And so I went on my first REI shoot. I remember I just got off a semester of school and got booked for this shoot in like Spokane, Washington. And I went on that shoot and two of the other models were signed with this other agency in LA mm-hmm. and Portland called Sports and Lifestyle Unlimited. Oh, I've heard of them. What, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so shortly after that trip, not only did I realize that these are the kind of jobs I want to get on more, but also... Yeah, screw that, selling the clothes. I want to model the yeah, clothes. Yeah, like I want to go on trips where it's like stuff I like to do, plus make money, plus just have fun, yada, yada. And so then I signed with SLU and the rest is history no so yeah i kind of like went from there yeah Yeah, and then i just i've always just had san francisco agency and slew and and i've just kind of maintained through that and when i finished art school i was like man i'm gonna just i wasn't really that inspired to become an artist by then i was kind of like burnt out and confused 
Mm-hmm. I still, I've always loved art. I will always have an appreciation for it's very it. Very daunting, but a yeah, career in the arts. I don't have regrets, but I do believe like I would have probably taken a different path in career, like in art as a career, if maybe I hadn't gone back to school after coming back from Boston and taking like I took some time off in between leaving Mass Art in Boston and coming back um, before going back into school, mm-hmm. and so like maybe if I had just started assisting, I just I was like too immature to sort of think about that. Then I was like, but maybe if I had started assisting a photographer, perhaps I would still be stoked. I don't know. There's no way to know. But Well, do you think if you're on a job like this as a photographer as opposed to the model, you'd have as much fun? I, I always know. wonder that. Sometimes I'm like looking at the photographer and I'm like, you're running, you're running backwards and you're tripping on roots. Yeah. And <laughs> they also don't get breaks. I mean, usually yeah, yeah, there's, you don't we get have anything. four, three photographers and a videographer on this shoot for between the two of us, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But usually it's one head yeah. photographer and like I'll shoot and then I'll have some downtime and you'll shoot with them. So that photographer never stops right. for, you know, 10, 12 hour shoot day. Right. And they shoot several thousand images a day then they have to go back and edit them and they have to batch them and send them to the client and make the client happy so sometimes i'm like i love like interacting with you figuring out what you want in the composition and then looking at the back of the camera and and going with that kind of workflow but Mm -hmm. i don't know if i envy photographers yeah you know i think the reason i know that i don't really want to be in that position now is because like I look at photographers, you know, when you're like doing a test shoot with a friend photographer or whatever, you're on a job with a photographer and you get done shooting and they are so psyched to download those files yeah. like immediately and start editing that I'm, I look at them. I'm like, wow, I know I wouldn't have that. So if I mm-hmm. don't have that feeling, then it's like, it's not quite for me. Like right. you love it so much that you are so excited. You cannot wait a moment. You don't yeah. even want to like eat a sandwich first and then edit. Yeah, they're straight You're to the laptop. straight up trying to like, yeah. Like, and it's that's not true for, passion. It's not for lack of opportunity. Like if you wanted, you could get a camera and start building up a portfolio as a photographer, You're, but you're not doing that, which yeah. I always think like people are like, oh, I wish I was doing that. I'm like, but if you really wanted to be doing it, you'd be doing it. Yeah, you know? I think so. Like, I think where I really found, fell in love with the medium was in the dark room. Yep. Because I love crafts. Like, I'll straight up say it. I love the macaroni. Like, <laughs> I love crafts. And I, like, love meticulous. Like, you making your serial killer. Yeah, the tactile, like, like I love that crap. Like, <laughs> where you're in, like, the most distorted position for hours on end doing yeah. something really benign (laughs) I find yeah and tedious I find that kind of it's sick but I I find that fun and but I mean in the dark room you know you you can manipulate and breathe in great chemicals and like I don't know I loved that that part of it and when I was in art school it was like such a weird time to be a photography major because it was when digital was the switch yeah yeah it was you know I was in school from like 2005 to 2010 ish and um yeah it was just this switch over this transition and i'm not like super psyched on staring at a computer i'm not really even like just the actual camera itself like the digital camera even though it's not that far off from what old camera old manual cameras are like it's like for some reason it just turned me off there's a disconnect between the screen i just like felt Again, like kind of intimidated and just like didn't want to bother. Like it just, I didn't get a kick out of it anymore. Right. It, it wasn't a challenge I wanted 
to take on. Well, that's the cool thing about modeling is having a photography background. You yeah. understand, like you're kind of making the composition. It's helped a lot actually. in like a 3D space, so they can capture it in on 2D frame. Yeah. Um, and it, like I know what photographers are going for, and I understand when they're like, yes, "Oh, we need space exactly. for text," and like, you know, you just learn you how to envision cheat. it so yeah. much faster than maybe the average person that's never picked up a camera for sure. or edited a photo or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. I think I took a lot. I definitely took a lot from studying photography. I did, there's a lot I didn't take. <laughs> like if you ask me, like, what aperture should I do? Like if you ask me, like technical shit like that, I'm like. It's like I never took photography, yeah. <laughs> but um, that all comes back though once you get a camera in your hand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My husband would be like, um, "Actually, no, it doesn't for Lindsay." <laughs> but it's okay. No, I I did take a lot from it in terms of just like the visual connection mm -hmm. to photography for modeling a lot. Yeah. I think I've noticed it many times. Um, taking direction and just being able to visualize the scenario through a viewfinder in my brain like mm -hmm. that does so much more for you and then when you get to see it maybe on the back of the camera or the monitor oh then I'm and like, then you can oh, make can adjustments yeah. yeah yeah it's nice especially with sports photography and like the the world of modeling that we're in more you know doing a running shot and trying to get that perfect stride and like that perfect like heel strike mm -hmm. you know you can make those tweaks and sometimes it i feel like i'm a bit rusty at that right now but it, in most times i feel like i've had an advantage yeah. to that because a i'm like athletic and b like i can kind of envision it through the camera so yeah, yeah. And, i mean as someone who's pursued the climbing lifestyle which you know you could call the dirtbag lifestyle just sort of caravanning around going to projects it seems like modeling is a perfect job to go in tandem with that sort of lifestyle that is why i got sucked into it for so long so like yeah after after i finished college you know, I, I had my BFA, which was kind of what my parents wanted the most, but I don't really feel like I've used it, but I, I did what I said I was going to do. And then I was like, well, now I'm on my own and I need to make money. Yeah. So I already had my foot in the door with modeling and, um, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to put more effort into this and see if I can really, you know, support myself. Mm -hmm. So I did, and I did really well for a while and I was pretty stoked on the whole lifestyle it gave me opportunity to like have my hobbies on the side and and spend more time climbing and training eventually. I didn't come into training for climbing till later probably, but um, I loved the, I mean, I've always kind of done everything in my life backwards. I'm not like the conformist, like average yeah. lifestyle girl, you know? Sure. Not, I never pictured myself in a nine to five, like cubicle. Did you ever do it? World. No, I mean the nine to five jobs were always just retail Retailing, or like yeah. food, like the restaurant biz. Mm -hmm. And it was just like side jobs while I was in school and stuff. Yeah, like sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll work a gig like for Athleta, for instance, and I'll be going into the office nine to five, yeah. going to the through the commute. And I think sometimes when I'm like, doing whatever I'm doing on the job that whole day. Like maybe I could do this, like work for corporate somebody and like yeah. I do it like four days in a row and I'm like <sighs> novelty wears off quickly. Wow. Yeah. How do you people do this? Yeah. I'm just thinking the whole time like when do you grocery shop and right. do your laundry? What if you have a doctor's appointment? <laughs> I have it too good. It's too but then, you know, the the grass is always greener because that's the norm, you know, the standard format for 
what most people kind of like venture towards mm -hmm. in life and careers. But like, you know, you have your weekends completely free for the most part, usually. Sure. And in our lifestyle, it's like all or nothing. It's like yeah. you're on a five day shoot where you're like on, on, on. This one's pretty chill, I have to say. But it's pretty chill. But we did fly them, in on a Saturday or flying out on a Saturday. So yeah. we lost two weekends, basically. Yeah. And, you know, you're it's always weird hours and sometimes they're super long days. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're freezing your fucking ass off or you're boiling, whatever it is. Those are, in retrospect, not bad things. And no, they're hard. fun to look back on. It's like yeah. type two fun. Right. You know, it's a suffer fest. Right. It's a suffer fest for a matter of days. You're getting paid a pretty penny, hopefully. Sure, yeah. And then maybe you have a little bit of a lull and you have some time for yourself. Like when I've been on a consecutive day photo shoot, a location shoot, and I come home, I'm usually like, nobody talk to me. Mm. <laughs> like oh, yeah. I need a moment alone because you've been taking direction from all these different people for days on end. And it's exhausting. Even when it's a good time and you're drinking it up with your homies on the shoot and the crew and everything is fun and great, it's still quite exhausting. It's exhausting you know? in a weird way. Like In a weird way. You can have so much downtime on a shoot, but you're always at the ready. And then when you are mm -hmm. shooting, Hurry up and wait. you're given everything you got. It doesn't matter what mood you're in, how cold you are. If it's like today, it was 48 degrees and raining. And they're like, put yeah. these shorts on. Like, right? we're not going to give you a rain jacket. And then we're going to go yeah. march into the woods for a while. Yeah. And I was like, and smile and is big and as like, you okay, possibly just one can. more and just one more and just one more and i was like uh-huh 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 yeah but it's yeah it's, it's i don't even fun. hear those words anymore no. i'm just like they're saying go again yeah <laughs> you're lying to me there's not just yeah. one more never yeah it's never never but it's worth it because then you can book out for a week if the weather's good and you can shoot exactly. off to southern utah or wherever exactly. you want to work on yeah a project because you have a van which i want to talk mm. to you about tell me about <laughs> your van paint me a word picture what's her name vangina <laughs> perfect <laughs> she is a 2015 mercedes sprinter van and she's four by four mm, yeah sexy. she's great she's silver <laughs> and yeah she's all built out queen size bed memory foam did you buy it built out or did you guys do no it? we did not buy it built out um because your husband's a climber too so you guys he's are a climber too off and running yeah he he had a van that ha just had like a bed platform in it before it was an astro uh a chevy astro van and it was it was badass it was all lifted and it was like this really cool maroon color and i was like "Ooh, that is sexy yeah but then it was like a total hunk of junk after a while <laughs> and we were like this is not going to work anymore. And uh, so actually, it's a good story about how we came to get the van, the, the Mercedes. Vangina. The Vangina, yes. Um, we took a trip. Maybe it was like the second year of dating. We took a trip to Australia. And it was it was actually really bad weather almost the whole time. But we ended up renting like a camper van. Mm -hmm. they're, they're really big there. Everyone does it over there. It's like the van life thing has been happening a lot everywhere else but the US. But yeah. for some reason, the trend really like kicked off here in the last seven years, six years. I don't know. Anyways, um, we rented a camper van and we were driving all over Australia climbing. And it was a van that you could totally stand up in. It was like a high top. Which makes a big difference. Yeah, it makes a big difference. And you're spending and hours in it. kitchenette. It had dual beds. Like our Sprinter doesn't have that. It had like a bottom bed that could turn into a whole like booth table mm -hmm. situation and then like a top topper bunk too and it was rad it was like grimy because a thousand million other people had slept in it <laughs> yeah. but it was and it was so humid all the time but it was rad like we were just like this is so cool we don't have to pull everything out and set up our little kitchenette every time like we were in his old van and 
So we've got like I always knew I wanted a sprinter van or something comparable to where you could stand up. Like mm-hmm. that was my dream. Like a friend of mine had gotten one and built it out, and I was like, that is so fucking tight. I you just added another thing to my bucket list. Yeah. Like I have to do that at some point. I have to make that happen. And and then Joe was like against the sprinter van thing for a while. And it was mostly because they didn't come in four by four. Mm. And but then and he also was yeah, he just was like, No, I love my van, da da da, but it started to break have all these breakdowns. So after that Australia trip, we he got turned on to the idea because he was like after he could he got cook, a taste of it, yeah. Yeah, he got a taste of being able to stand up and cook and not have to like be out in the rain like trying to do trying to make a fire or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then we both started our like the wheels just started turning and we were both thinking and then we heard we found out i think because when we were in australia it was probably 2014 and then we heard that mercedes was coming out with a four by four and so we started to plan for it already yeah. so yeah we put in an order we got ours in las vegas actually and um we went and test drove one and we were like wow it drives like a car and it's <laughs> like this is so cool oh my god and then we were like scheming how the heck we were gonna build it out we were both like we don't know how to build anything <laughs> Like, I don't know how to use power tools. <laughs> like, I love the idea of working with wood and I always wanted to be like a carpenter, but I don't know the first thing. I've, like, I've made lots of things with wood and they're all such shit. Like, totally just making it up as I go. I'll have to show you the headboard I made. <laughs> um, and the bench together. I made. And like, I've made a lot of really weird things. I'm like afraid of power tools. Probably because of Tommy Caldwell. <laughs> right, yeah. Climbers um, got to watch their fingers. Yeah, I'm, yeah. So, but anyways, we were like, we got to have someone else build it out. Because the other thing about building it out yourself is not only is it a buttload of work and you need to know what you're doing and you're cutting into your brand new van, right? but it also takes a long time. And so we were like, you know, looking at our finances of how we could like work this out. And we ended up finding this guy in Santa Barbara that we knew through another guy that had just gotten his van done and we struck a deal and then just one thing led to another and yeah we got it built out so what do you got in there because i so i made a little short film about van life because i i've had that itch to just like get rid i mean i live in la you live in san francisco we both pay Mm -hmm. you you have a mortgage and i have a rent that's way too expensive and i'm like what if i just got a van and like people live in campers in la anyways like they do it for different reasons yeah i was like worst comes to worst it's a really weird month of my life and this is when i was single and i was like i might just do it Mm -hmm. i was like i'll make a short film about it and like that'll be enough to (laughs) just like hold me over didn't end up doing it but like i still would love to have some sort of vehicle i can live in yeah so what do you have in your van yeah okay well i can definitely show you some pictures but the podcast listeners won't be able to see those just Um, imagine so it's like you open the sliding door and you're looking straight at the kitchenette and we have a two burner stove, which is a Dometic stove and it has like this glass um, cover mm-hmm. and then a, the same situation, glass cover sink, which um, is connected to a 20 gallon water tank that cool. sits underneath the bed. So then the whole back zone of the van, like towards the back doors is a queen size mattress we when we were when we were designing the build out we were both like we value sleep we like we like to try to climb hard that like we have lots of like hard climbing goals and sport climbing is kind of like the most physical form of climbing that i mean not really like track climbing would be extremely physical too and you're exhausted all the time but 
You can really push yourself. Sport you can climbing. really push yourself climbing, sport climbing, like in a more g- gymnastic way and yeah. like muscular strength power way. And yeah. so, you know, like I said, predominantly what we do and sleep is so important to us, like rest and, and recovering is, is important. So we didn't want one of those makeshift, turn it from a table into a bed yeah. and it has all these like creases in it. And like, like my, I wake up with like numb arms all the time anyways. I don't need all that. And so yeah. we wanted like a solid mattress. Yeah. Cause you go like months at a time, like a month at a time. Yeah. Like sometimes we're in, I think the longest that we've spent in the van together, which has been trying at times, I'm is sure. probably like two and a half months, maybe three months. Um, but I mean, usually that's like, a, that's like an apartment. Long. That's a yeah. short term apartment. It's a pretty long time. Like maybe I took a little trip away or something in between or he did but um get a little space that's probably like the max amount of time we've yeah. spent consecutively like some people do it for like a whole year sure. or just forever um and i find that really admirable and frightening um <laughs> but yeah so we have a queen size memory foam mattress and it's nothing like high-end it's not like tempurpedic but it's memory foam and then there's like kind of like these so along the kitchenette continuing to the back along the wall is like a cubby shelf and then above the bed on either side is cabinetry like Mm -hmm. all the way along um so on one side of the bed it's like two little cabinets and that's like where joel puts his clothes and on the other side it's like my clothes and then it's food like dry food and then kitchen like kitchenette pots and pans whatever and then in the kitchenette you got like three little drawers and a small um refrigerator and then do you have storage in the back under the bed yes and then so if you open the back doors on the left side we have like this massive drawer that rolls all the way out where we put all our climbing gear um like climbing and bolting gear and then on the other side it's just like a cubby that's underneath the bed but of course in the middle of the bed is where that water tank is so it does take up some of the space it's like between the two wheel wells but then there's like just a cubby where we usually like throw our dirty climbing bags yeah ropes and stuff like climbing that. is a gear intensive sport so you gotta it have is. space yeah honestly so like i said we're sport climbers so we built the van out more for like sport climbing going to sport cliffs but you know sometimes we want to go bouldering and we really didn't build it out for like anywhere to put crash pads just bring that tempurpedic out and just throw it know. around <laughs> well so i have a i have like a design in my brain of how we should like make a bit of like a crutch platform to lift the bed and be able to slide pads in between the bed and like those cubbies and i think we might build that in the next year or so and so we have that so you've got this creative design mind you've you've got your van Mm -hmm. you've got your passion for climbing you've got a career in modeling Mm -hmm. but you also live in one of the most expensive cities in the world what's what's the plan what's next well yeah so i grew up in the bay area and you know it's always been a great home yeah. Um I've always loved coming back to it and um and I have a house there so I'm really fortunate to like have that and but I like my whole network's there, my families are all around, um at least my immediate family and I got to say but I got to say I need a little break. So it's yeah, at a, it's like at an all-time craziness in the Bay Area. I mean it's always been crazy and it's always been expensive as all hell and I've always been kind of like a little bit hanging on by a hair at time, you know, at a lot of times, um, especially when there's lulls in modeling sure. or, or I decide to go on too long of a climbing trip. Um, but those are decisions I make. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so the, uh, 
the big next step and dream is that we're going to get out of Cali for a little while. We're going to hop in the van, basically dirtbag it for mm-hmm. as long as possible, try to save some money, rent our house out. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, just go do what really makes us happy while having some time to work on some new business endeavors. Yeah. Wink, w- wink. That you might be wearing right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody can see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's cool. It's cool to get out. And then you always have modeling in your back pocket because you're already a kind of a direct book for SLU and yeah, luckily, you have your agency NSF. Yeah. So. I hope that, you know, going away won't totally X me out for opportun- opportunities um, to still, you know, model here and there. But I have to say as much as I'm grateful for having that as like a somewhat, I some, I don't really know if I always call it a career to me. It was always a job at times. I thought of it as like a career I was trying to get, like make bigger and better. But in the more recent years in my more adult years, I've kind of been, I will admit a little less like inspired and fulfilled by it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that, is a good thing because it's been pushing me towards like wanting to step away a bit more from it, not yeah. rely on it and find something else that is a bit more fulfilling. Well, it um, sounds like, you know, you're older, you've gotten older, you're, you're married now and you've gotten your priorities a little more in line. If you want to have a career career in modeling, it has to be sort of an all encompassing track. You have to really push and yeah. you got to be in a city like New York or LA and you have to make that conscious decision and put, month-long climbing trips on the wayside yeah Um, you do but you also have to get in line with what makes you happy i mean you're reading how to not give a fuck right now by mark manson (laughs) which you told me is kind of about just figuring out what you value and it sounds like you know you value being able to pay your bills and feed yourself but in the service of getting out and doing what you really love exactly i don't want to sacrifice what makes me like the happiest in my life just because I have to earn a certain amount. So if I can change that a little bit by leaving a very expensive place to live (laughs) and, and going somewhere cheaper to live to have more time to do what makes me happy. Then I also have more time to figure out something that can sustain the life I love and, and, um, fulfill me, I guess is what I'm, I mean, I think that's a a smart plan. I'm sort of just coming to it now in my mid (laughs) thirties. It takes time. It does take time. It you takes... can't rush these things. <laughs> these millennials, we're still living at home. Leave us alone. Yes. Uh-huh. So I appreciate you doing this and sitting down and talking. What what sort of last piece of advice would you have for, I don't know, a young climber, a young model, or someone who doesn't know what they want to do? Mm-hmm. You know, now that you've sort of been able to identify what you value and how to chase it down. Oh, man. Oh, man, there's a lot. Like, I think about these things sometimes when I'm working with, like, younger models. Yeah. Or, like I said, I see climbers in the gym or at the cliff. That Because that is similar to when you're on set with a new model and, like, yeah. maybe they don't know what they're doing and yeah, you like, want to help them Like out. I said, again, I don't want to seem like I just have all the answers because I've, you know, been modeling for so long. I still make mis- tons of mistakes. Oh, yeah. Um, I cut my shins up yesterday. It was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I... <laughs> I think, what would I say to those youngins? <laughs> Whippersnappers. I would, I would just say to both the, the new climber or the new model, take your time and really be open to learning. Know that you don't know everything. Yeah. And, and be humble. Try to stay humble. Humility is important, especially in modeling and climbing. Mm-hmm. A lot of ego comes through climbing, and I had a lot of it and still do sometimes in both. Yeah, um, sure. And... 
I think trying to get to know people before judging them, that, that's a big one that I would say like, you know, when you're on your way to go to a job, like a modeling job, and you saw a call sheet and you, you don't mm -hmm. know any of the names on it, mm -hmm. and you get there and you don't know anyone, just have an open mind. Don't judge people by anything that you see at first glance. Yeah. You know, get to know people later. Maybe you make your judgments, but no. Yeah, but no, give I'm them a kidding. chance. Yeah. I, mean, I saw, I saw your name on the call sheet and I looked up your Instagram and I was like, oh shit, she's like a what? really badass climber. No. I was like, see, I can climb. I, I know my way around <laughs> a crag and like ropes and whatnot. Oh but. no, you totally stalked me. No, I mean, yeah, I think give people the benefit of the doubt is like one of the best pieces of advice I can give to life really and, and just take your time because no matter what, you're going to make mistakes mm -hmm. and the coolest thing about mistakes is that they mean that you have something to learn. Yeah. It's an opportunity to grow. That it's an opportunity to grow and change. And so, yeah, like that book is saying in, it's saying like, you know, don't try so hard. And I've actually been thinking about that a lot because in climbing that like you're always just telling each other, try hard, try hard. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I have had this, I've had this little like quote that a friend of mine said one time. His name is Matty Hong and he's like a he's a badass climber from Colorado. And he said and he's he's pretty young. He's like kind of a youngin. But he's wise for his age. He said one time to me, um, what was it now? The positive outcome of negative thinking. So basically in the sense that because a lot of times in climbing, especially in a lot of like climbing books that you'll read. You know, it's like all about you have to think positively, positive, 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 yeah. so that you can envision yourself completing the route. Yeah, or, so yeah. you can send. You have to, yeah, all positive thinking. And honestly, some of the times that I not necessarily have thought negatively about it when I'm, you know, roping in and I'm going to go for a red point try and just try my ass off, I, I'm not negative thinking like thinking negatively, oh, I'm going to fuck this up and I'm mm -hmm. not going to, everything's going to go wrong. More so just not totally just like psyching myself up like I can do this. I'm going to do this like all egotistical like I got this shit, right, you know, right. in a way I think that thinking less of that for me personally helps me relax. Less pressure. Less pressure, less yeah. stress because I like have been on the wall sometimes just like freaking out i'm like getting an ulcer i feel like i'm gonna throw up and but like i'm sending but like yeah <laughs> but like it's rough I mean, i'm killing it but <laughs> like it hurts I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but like i think that and you sometimes just get those crazy butterflies and it could probably be the same in in a modeling aspect you know like sometimes i get the same i get stage fright like yeah doing an audition like modeling print i'm usually all good like i don't have to talk but when it comes to like reading a line or like that i learned one minute ago i like will sometimes have a little mini freak out well like it's just, yeah you get that like do less like especially like yeah, modeling do like less. don't like doing less like what do you more. do with your face it's like nothing yeah. Like do as little as possible. If you're reading a line, like the more you do, the more you try to force it, the more you try to muscle through it and like have that ego, it's just going to come out so unnatural yeah. and you're probably going to fail. Yeah. And the same probably holds true for trying to muscle your way through the crux of a climb. Yeah. You know, you got to just give it, it's like, got to let it flow. I don't know. You got to let it flow. Like what I guess what, what I'm trying to say is don't, don't not try. Don't, <laughs> don't just be like giving up. Yeah. But don't try so hard that you're like, letting it be bigger than you yeah. whatever it is 
whether it's a climb or it's a job yeah. or it's a person or whatever. Don't do nothing, but do less than you think you should Yeah, do. Let, <laughs> let life flow. I say this, but maybe I don't. You know, I try my best to, to think this way, but I'm probably not doing it all the time either. <laughs> so, you know, you try and you try less. <laughs> oh, I think I know what you're getting at. I'm going to have to borrow <laughs> that book from you maybe after you finish it. You should it. read it. I yeah. feel like you're probably a good reader and you'll read it in like... Oh, I, an hour. I read real good. <laughs> you read real good. <laughs> well, thanks again for doing this. Yeah, um, no problem. It's Thursday, fun. I'm terrified of what you're going to do on the ropes. But. Oh, come on. I think we're all good. We, think we got some nice five nines on the way. and we can handle that. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll all be right. on top rope. <laughs> good times. All right. I'll see you out there. <laughs> okay. okay. Bye, kids. See ya.